but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and, and even to the remotest part of the earth. The earth. Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from the series, Witnesses, a study on the book of Acts. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Thanks, you guys have a seat. Go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat in front of you, and you can take that one home if you want. The book of Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament, and so you can just kind of open the front there and the table of contents and, and find the book of Acts. And we've been here for a couple weeks now. And so for those who have been here, you know that I'm telling you ahead of time what you're covering next week. So next week will be in 512 through the end of the chapter. So read ahead. 512 through the end, um, and you guys can, and I hope, you're, I hope that's helpful for some of you guys, you're coming in, you're ready, you know the, the narrative already, and I, I, I promise you, if you are, do a little bit of work ahead of time, it'll get much more out of this time together. So Acts chapter 4. Uh, many moons ago, when our oldest was only a baby, we were on the way to seminary, and we had sold our, our little townhouse, and we had to live in a little apartment for just a couple months, four or five months, until we could, I could finish the school year and we could head off to, to Dallas Seminary. And we had this cat. And this was an inside cat. This was an outside cat. And when it went outside, this cat got fleas, right? And so this cat came into the house with fleas. And me being the cheapskate that I am, thought, I'll take care of this, honey. I'll deal with it. I went to Walmart, got myself a little $1.99 collar. Here you go. That'll fix the problem, right? Put that bad boy on there. The only problem is... It didn't do it. And the entire apartment got infested. People walking in the carpet with bare feet. And you'd be like, oh, you know, you kind of get bitten. They were in the couch. Samuel was only like 16 months. You'd put him down on the ground, and they would be like all over him, carrying him off across the room. I mean, it was just, it was nasty. You didn't want to have people over. You kind of sat in the couch in a fetal position, hoping that you didn't get bit. It was miserable. Right? And you can't even see them, really. They're kind of hidden. They're under the ground. But you would just get bitten, and it infested the place, all because I didn't deal with it, or I dealt with it in a cheap way. In the early church, we're going to see today some fleas sneak into this deal, right? Something that's, that's subtle, that just kind of a couple come in at one point, but if they don't get dealt with, they infest the place. We saw last week that, that Satan, the enemy, has been now opposing the church. He is not going to let them just kind of go and preach. And so there's external pressure to keep their mouth shut. There's persecution. And that's what sometimes he does. There's external pressure to stop us. But one of the most effective ways that Satan attacks the church is not from the outside. It's from the inside. And it's subtle and it's hidden like fleas, and you can't even see it's there until it's almost too late. There's little attacks from within. And we're going to see today, Satan is going to introduce just a couple fleas to this deal. Just a few, right? And it's the same fleas that are in this room. Metaphorical fleas, 
not physical. You don't need to start scratching. Some of you are like, they're metaphorical, y'all. But it's the same issues that he's trying to introduce into this church. And if we don't deal with it, it infests the place. And it ruins the place. And there's no joy and there's no, everyone's sitting in the corner in a, in a fetal position hoping they don't get bit. So what that, those fleas are and how to deal with them, we're going to look at our text today in Acts chapter 4. And we're going to pick up in verse 32. And there's really three scenes in our text. We're going to go all the way to 511. Three scenes. First scene sets up the second two, and we're going to see our fleas. But in the beginning, everything's going well. Let me read the first couple verses of scene one, and we'll kind of talk about it a little bit. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so in scene one, they are weathering this persecution very well. I mean, everything is going well. In fact, right up front, it says, it makes a kind of amazing statement. The whole number of those who believe, they are one heart and soul. And this is not just like 12 of them. You're talking 20,000 people at this time, at least. And there's an unbelievable oneness and unity about them. One heart, one soul. It's a hugely significant statement, right? That there is unity. What is one of the biggest just struggles of the American church? It's unity. It's unity, and this is what Satan's always kind of subtly attacking, and that's what he's going to start attacking here. He's going to let some fleas in. We're great at uniformity. We talk about this a lot. We keep it out in front of us because it's so big. We're great at everyone liking everyone to be like them and look the same and do the same and have the same kind of school and same kind of convictions and same kind of background and same kind of everything. That's easy. Unity is hard, but they have it. Right? They got diversity. They got all sorts of groups, but they got unity, and one of the things we are a broken church, and we got all sorts of issues, but one of the things that I love about this church is there is great diversity. I mean, we got them all over the map, y'all. We got the 49ers, right? And we got the nine-monthers, right? We got the earth, wind, and fire, and we got the Bieberites, right? I mean, you got them both. You have the all different socioeconomic statuses. You got black and white. You got Georgia, Georgia Tech. Right? You got CrossFit, you got CouchFit, <laughs> Vegetarian, Meditarian, you got the Frozen Chosen that sit there like this, and you got the hands up, woo, swaying in the back, right? You got them all. And it is a good thing. And if it bothers you, tough, because we like it, and it's healthy, and it's what we want to be. And what, what brings us together is not background, it's not all the hobbies, it's not political preference, it's the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what the apostles are testifying to powerfully, and there was great grace in it, the resurrection that Jesus is alive. And so these people are treating each other as brother and sister. They're opening their hearts to one another. They're embracing each other. They are valuing each other. There is oneness, and it makes this amazing statement in 34, there's not a needy person among them. 
It's not that they were all wealthy, but if, if there is a need, this guy over here meets a need. And if it means he sells his land, he sells his house, he sells his car, he meets a need because he is giving value to that other person because because of Christ, and that's what he did. It's an amazing statement, and it's huge because in those days, if you came to faith, you might get cut off from your family. You're no longer in the family business. You're no longer a carpenter. You're no longer a this, a farmer. You're out, and so who, how am I going to make a living? How am I going to feed my family? Well, the church comes in and meets needs. If you're, if you're needy and, and, and have a, a handicap or some kind, the synagogue would often take care of the poor and those people. But you start proclaiming Jesus as, as Messiah, that synagogue's going to cut you off. And where are you going to go? The church, the family. And so there's, they have a need. They meet a need. And this is not some communistic society. This is not, this is not required. This is based not on everyone gets the same. It's he has a need. We meet a need. It comes from the church. Identifying the needs of the people. And a great example of it is this guy named Joseph, verse 36. Joseph was called by the apostles Barnabas. Now think about that. The apostles say, your mama misnamed you, boy. His name is a pretty good name. Joseph is like a hero of Israel, right? One of the 12 tribes or 12 sons of of Jacob. He's the stepdad of Jesus. It's a pretty good name, but they say, you misnamed you. We're going to call you Barney, all right? Not the purple dinosaur, Barney. Barnabas meaning son of encouragement. Because being around you, brother, is just such a great thing that we just want to be with you. Everything you do is an encouragement to us. And so we're going to call you Barney. Forget Joseph. And what he did is he sold a field, and he just takes the money, and he lays it at the apostles' feet and says, here, do this with whatever you want. Now, think about that, how radical that is. Just bring in money and laying at the apostles' feet. Can you imagine at the end of the service, Ethan come up, sing just as I am, all 73 verses, boom, they do it. And some guy sells a house in Ardsley for $373,000. He brings a check in. He says, here, Bill, this is for y'all and the elders. Now that, some of us, probably myself included, would be like, whoa. Right? We're like, in the day and age when pastors are kind of flying their own little jets and, and embezzlement stories and all these things, you and me both would be like, whoa. But that's the kind of trust they had for these leaders. They're not worried if Peter's going to go buy the brand new camel, the newest model. It's the non-spitting camel, right? I mean, yeah, automatic, you know, windows on this camel. They're not worried about that. There's great trust. And think about it. Anytime people act like a family and they start valuing one another as more important than themselves and they start being generous with their stuff, and they start trusting their leaders, is there going to be unity? There absolutely is. And that's where they're at. And here's just kind of what that looks like for us, just a little kind of quick side note. Y'all are an unbelievably generous church. You, don't, you guys don't even know how generous of a church this is. I mean, we have never as a church had needs. We've already saved up more than 50% for the building. I mean, which will, I promise, this week they're pouring footers. Believe it or not, everything is in. So we, they, you're going to start seeing movement real quick. Lord willing, so four services will be done soon, I hope. But super generous church. We are able to meet all sorts of needs. We're able to do all sorts of things on the missions field. We're, there's a lot of things that we're able to do because you are super generous. And you need to know that the people who deal with the money, they may not be the Apostle Peter, but they are trustworthy. And it's not me. I don't do anything with money, but we got Sharon, who's on staff here, deals with it. You have some deacons at this church, and most of you don't even know them. Because what they do is in obscurity and hidden, but they are faithful men, 
and they stay here an hour afterwards, count, make sure everything is secure, make sure that we're above reproach accountability-wise. There's a budget that money is, is spent wisely because we recognize that we are not owners, we are managers. And when a group of people live their lives as managers and not owners or stewards, there is a oneness. And that's what we just encourage y'all, that you are a manager. Everything you have, your time, your treasure, your talent, you manage it. And so if that means on Tuesday afternoons you come in and read with some neighborhood kids because you got time that you use that for the kingdom. And if you have a little extra money over here and you can pay for groceries for the lady in your community group, the single mom, that you do it. You can send a kid to Young Life Camp, you do it. You got that extra car that your, your kid's gone now and you get, that you would manage what God has given you well for the kingdom. Do you manage your, your, your finances? And, and I always get the question, how much should we be giving? Should we tithe? You could tithe. But understand this, tithers, the Old Testament tithe was not 10%. You know what it was? 23.3333333333%. The little line over the last three. There was three tithes. There was a tithe when you went to the feast. There was a tithe for the Levites. And every third year, there was a tithe for the poor. It comes out to 23. So everyone's like, I'm a tither. 23.3%. All right? If you want numbers, there's your number. But what we've done as a church is said this. You give what God tells you to give. We put it on you. There's two people that have to be happy with that, or three if you're married. You and your spouse and God, and that's the only people that need to know, and I don't want to know. You pray about it. God, what does it look like for me to be courageous, generous, and faithful and trusting you, and that's between you and him, right? And so you deal with that. And that's why we have boxes and we don't pass an offer because we don't want people giving from compulsion. We want them giving because they want to give and so they have to go out of their way to do it. We don't want, oh, it's plate, five bucks, just so everyone will see that I'm not a pagan. No, that you will be purposeful, that you would spend some time and we trust that you and the Holy Spirit, he's gonna get you where he wants you. And we're okay with that. We don't need to guilt anybody. And that's what we do here. But that's just us. That's one of our, our five core values of, of a disciple. The spec is stewarding resources and gifts for the kingdom. And that's, that's between you and God. It's his. You're a manager, right? And sometimes, for some of us, because, you know, college student, I know, or, you know, you're right out of school and you have a job, you're like, well, I don't, just have, I don't have a lot. That's okay. But what sometimes God does is he asks you when you don't have a lot to be generous so that he can show up and show himself to be a provider and faithful in a way that you can't fathom. I remember when we were in seminary, one specific event, it always comes up in my mind. We were broke, two kids in seminary, and my, one of our buddies at our church, he, he got mugged and got his car stolen. Right? He only had one car, the only way to get to work. And, and so people were kind of giving him gifts, and we had a little extra money, a little extra hundred bucks, and I'm thinking, going to the steak and ale, twice. My wife was like, we ought to give that money to Dan and Jen. And I'm like, we're going to steak and ale. <laughs> Twice. All right? That's what, she, that's what they got parents for. <laughs> we're broke too, remember? So we ended up giving that money, and my reward was wood, hay, and stubble, and my wife's is good in heaven. But the idea there is we were able to give out of our poverty, and God was able to bless that and provide for us. And sometimes God calls us to do that. But you, gotta, you have to, with God, be comfortable with what he is calling you to do, not, not under a compulsion, but generously and faithfully and courageously, because I trust that he can do more with 
whatever he asks you to do than you could ever do. And so that's, that's where they're at. And there's something unifying about it because they're functioning as managers. And everything is going great until chapter 5. Until the fleas. And what Satan's going to do is just introduce a, just a few fleas. And here's the beauty of Scripture, y'all. This is why I love it. It is honest. If you were going, if you're trying to sell a bill of goods, you don't add this chapter. You kind of edit. This doesn't make it, uh, this gets cut. It ends on the, on the editing floor. But the scripture is honest and true. And it's just, it's authentic and real. And it shows that they are just like us. They are real just like us. They got issues in this church just like us. They got fear. They got greed. They got pride. They got doubt. They got self-righteousness. They got fleas just like us. And so it's going to be honest and show you what happens. Verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, now underline that, whatever takes place now, they have planned. There is, there is a cons- conspiring, all right? With his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So they got a plan. Their plan is they're going to bring only part of the money. Now, that's not the ultimate problem. Look at verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds? How much you want to bet that's not what he expected to hear when he showed up at church that day, when he dropped off the money? All right, can you imagine we put some deacons at the boxes on the way out, you put your check in? Thanks, Lucifer. (laughs) Devil kid. But that's the idea. I can guarantee that's not what he was expecting to hear. But he hears that. Why has Satan filled your heart? Now, why does, why does Peter say this to him? Because he says he's lied to the Holy Spirit. How has he lied to the Holy Spirit? Right? And this is, by the way, one of the clearest evidences in the, in, the, in the Bible that the Holy Spirit is not a thing. He's not an it. He is God. He says, you've lied to God. You have lied to the Holy Spirit who is God. You haven't lied to me. So how are they lying all right, verse four, while it remained, while your land remained unsold, did it not remain your own? He said, no one forced you to sell this land, Ananias. No one required you to do it. It was yours. You could do whatever you want with it. And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? You could do what you want with the money. You could give 100%. You could give 50%. You could give 25%. You could give 23.33. You could give 1%. It was yours. Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men to God. What is it that they did? Here's an example of what they did in, in financial terms. They sold their property for, let's say, $250,000. They planned ahead of time, honey, yes, dear, we're going to sell it for $250,000. We're going to keep fifty dollars for a rainy day. Were they allowed to do that? Yeah, he says they could. The problem was not that. The problem was we're going to tell everybody we sold it for two hundred, dollars and we're going to give two hundred, dollars so everyone will think that we gave all of the money, but really we're going to have $50,000. And what they're doing is they're presenting themselves as something they're not. They're trying to make themselves look better. Because look, everyone was like, woo, Barnabas, woo, good job, Barnabas. And we want some of that. And if we only give 75%, people will be like, well, that was good. But if they think we gave 100%, then they'll really think well of us. And he says, that's a lie, not to me, but to God. That's what they did. They pretended to look better than they were. How does Peter know? It doesn't tell us, but he does. God, the Holy Spirit, reveals it to him. But you can see it's so small, right? It's so subtle. It's just a few little fleas couched in something very good, giving. 
Generosity. But if if it's not dealt with, it infests the whole deal. And it's hard to spot, but it's deadly. You know what this flea is? These fleas that are here, it's spiritual pride. Spiritual pride. It's the heart that says, look at me. Can you see me? I want to be seen. I want to be desired. I want to be worshipped. We say, oh, no, I don't want to be worshipped. No, I don't want you to sing in crown bill with many crowns or anything like that, but I just want people to think well of me. Then you want them to worship you because when they are exalting you, who are they putting down? Christ. So that you want to be worshipped. It's at the, at the core of what it is, that you are the center of your thoughts and you want people to be, you to be the center of their thoughts, right? And when you're promoting yourself, who are you not promoting? Who are you not a witness of? Christ, you're a witness of you, right? This is the heart behind y'all, and some of you, this is, this is kind of where you come from. This is the heart behind the little plaque on the side of the chair that says, to the glory of God and the Smith family, and in parentheses, and you best not sit in our chair, or we're going to smack you upside your head with the Bible, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> this is the heart behind the bulletin. The toilet paper today was donated by the Charmin family. All right, yeah. I, that you want to, people to know that you did this, right? That's what it is. It's, it's opening up your Bible in Starbucks that's your 1937 King James is this big and looking over and everybody looking at, I'm reading my Bible and journaling in Greek. Right? So everyone knows. It's when you pray using these and vows and then quoting, you know, the entire Psalm 119 because you want everyone to know that you memorized it so that they'll think, ah, he's a good Christian man, good dude, right? So you can be seen. It's it's ascribing motive to people that you don't even know their heart, but yeah, I know why she's doing that, and did you see that, and I bet it's just because of that. It's spiritual pride, right? And if it's, if it's left unchecked, those few fleas, they multiply, and it turns into greed, and it turns into bitterness, and it turns into jealousy, and it turns into slander, and it turns into gossip, and you end up on the couch in the fetal position thinking, I don't want to be here, I don't want to be here, I don't want to be here, because I'm going to get bit. And the worst thing about it is, is you cause other people to stumble because they look over you at the community group and you're talking about, yeah, my husband took me on seven dates this week and we did four-hour quiet times and we memorized the book of Revelation together and everything's great. And they look at you and they're thinking, I'm never going to be like the Von Trapp family over here. I'm, I'm broken and I don't even like my kids right now and I got laundry up to here and we haven't been on a date in six weeks and the minivan window's broken and over there they have everything together. And it causes other people to lose hope. It causes other people to think they don't belong because they don't meet the, the standard and you have caused your brother to stumble because of your pride and arrogance. And Jesus says, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, go down to the river, throw a tire around your neck. That would be better. That's how serious because it's not about you. It's about us worshiping Christ together. And when you're exalting yourself and doing things to be seen by him, you're stealing his glory. 
And it is a devastating thing for the church. And the father has to bring action. He has to move. Just like me. If I come home and my wife's like, you got to deal with these four. I'm like, I'm ready. Come on. Because they're like, this is mine. This is mine. He broke my this. It's my turn. I'm going to be like, whoa. I'm going to gather that in and I'm going to deal with it. And I'm going to limit what we can do. We ain't going to DQ tonight. No, no, no. We're going to deal with this and I'm going to deal with it now. And it's going to limit what we're going to do, and there's going to be not a lot of joy in this midst because of all this. And that's exactly what the Father is. And I'm telling you, y'all, I've talked to, to so many people, so many of y'all, and I, this is why I'm convinced that good gospel preaching, Bible preaching Christians and churches, their churches are, are going the wrong direction, not because they don't have the gospel, because they got fleas all over them. And they care more about, you can't move the picture of, of Brother Jimmy. Because Brother Jimmy, he got one to Jesus by Brother Joe, and he was in Billy Graham's Bible study. So you can't pull that down because you pull that down and Jesus steps off the throne. And we're more concerned about that picture that gets moved six inches to the right than exalting Christ. And there's fleas all over everything. And the Father has to be, I can't, I'm limited there. I can't do that because you've got to get the in-house stuff right before we can go out. And so that's what the Father does. He brings action to this deal. Ananias, verse 5. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. How about that for a moment in the church? The greeters are saying, how you doing? And all of a sudden, it's kind of kick over, right? The worship leader is playing. He turns around and he keels over. You're like, yeah, this just happens all the time at CBC. Yeah. Right? But, but that's it. A brand new ministry at CBC, the, the burial ministry. We'll put a video on and advertise for it. You can sign up. But how radical is it that God does it? It's so radical. You read some of the commentaries, you're like, well, he didn't really die. He didn't really die. Breathed his last. I mean, he's got a, he can hold his breath for a while then. I mean, uh, uh, he sounds like he's dead to me, and they buried him. He, why does God deal so severely with just a little flea? It's just a little pride. I mean, if, 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 let's be honest, if God still dealt with us in this way, we wouldn't be building a new building for sanctuary, we'd be building a morgue, and I would be the first one in it. So, so why does he deal with it so severely here? Here's why. Oftentimes in Scripture, especially when new things are going on, God will deal with something in a way to show how he feels about it as an example. For instance, when the people of Israel just go across the Jordan River and they go in and they go into Jericho and Achan's just steals a little bit of stuff. And what does God do? He flattens the family to, to show what he's doing, to show how he feels about stealing from him. That's what's going on here. Brand new church, brand new thing going on. We cannot go back to that Pharisaicalism. We cannot bring that, that whitewashed tomb stuff back into the church. We just got rid of it and we're Two months in, and we already get fleas all over us again. And so he's going to deal harshly and severely because it's an affront to the very gospel these guys are preaching. Because it's a, you say, I don't, I'm not needy. I don't need anything. I want to be seen. I want to be worshipped. And they're getting away from that. And so he deals harshly. And Ananias dies, and, they, and there's fear in the church, and they carry him off and bury him. That's scene two. And then scene three. This is with his wife. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what happened. She's been out. She's got 50K. She's at Target. She's at Pier 1. She's spending some money. 
And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she has a choice, doesn't she? She could lie. She can come clean. What does she do? She lies. Yep, for so much. Peter says, how is it that you have, have, have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell on his feet, Benny Hinn style, boom, and she breathed her last. And when the young men came in, they found her, and they carried her and buried her beside her husband. And I love this verse, and fear, great fear came upon the whole church. Yeah? Can you imagine? Come to CBC. If you fake it, you die. Don't, you better sing. Right? Better be reading. Better be praying. But it, it, great fear. Right? And you say, okay, why? Why so, why so, so severity? Because it's a seri- these fleas are a serious thing. They're, they're satanic. So that's a strong word. It's not mine, it's Peter's. Verse 4, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? This is demonic. It's all pride. It's not a big thing. It's just a little thing. It's not like a big sin. It's demonic. What was Satan's sin that got, thrown, got him thrown out of heaven? Pride. What does he appeal to Adam and Eve? Their pride. Oh, God has not given you what you deserve. He's holding things back. It's pride. It, seven things the Lord hates. First one, haughty eyes. God is opposed to the immoral. God is opposed to the drunkard. No, God is opposed to the proud. It's a huge deal, and it's so small, and it can be hidden and couched, and you don't even see it, but it's biting you all over, and it's infesting the deal, and you got to deal with it. So here's kind of three ways that we need to deal with it this morning. Number one is this. We need to identify it and confront it, because every single one of us, me included, can do it. Peter, who confronted them here, a few years later, he's got fleas all over him, and Paul says, you are a hypocrite. Galatians 2, you are a hypocrite. You got fleas all over you, because he's too proud to, to eat with the Gentiles. He wants to hang out with these guys, because he doesn't want to be thought about, oh, he's, he's got the same issue. The apostle Peter, every single one of us is capable. Ananias and Sapphira, y'all, are believers. These are not just pagan, you know, just evil people. These are Christians, How do I know? Because the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. These are Christians, good folks who have parted with the world and said, we're following Christ. They just just got deceived. And look, I don't know how it went. I have in my sanctified imagination how this looked. But I, I think it went something like this. Ananias goes down, boom, and he wakes up in glory, and he's standing before Jesus, the Messiah. And Jesus says, Ananias, that was just not smart. You know I had to do that. Yeah. Oh, here comes your wife. (laughs) Right? And they're not in heaven regretting this forever. There's no tears in heaven. There's no condemnation for those in Christ. But there's this idea where, look, you are capable and I am capable, just like them. Just like them. And so you have to identify in your life where you got fleas. And so if you're looking over there and you're saying, they're different than me, they, they didn't, that guy didn't even graduate high school, and you're looking down on him, 
you got fleas. And if you're in a community group and someone's sharing or you're meeting with some lady with co- for coffee and she's telling you what's going on in her family and what's going on in her life and you're listening to her struggles and you're thinking, this person is, a, is crazy. I can't believe that she lets her kids do that. I can't believe that she, oh my goodness, that they have alcoholism. Oh my goodness, their kids did that. And if you're thinking about them, but you're ignoring the fact that you spend five hours a night on Instagram and Facebook, and you think your sin is less sin than their sin, then you got fleas. And you got fleas. If you're trying to push your convictions on this, and if you don't do this, then you're not as good as Christian as us, and, and you don't, you got fleas. I ask myself this question, you know where I got them? And I'll be honest, I am way too critical. And I'm telling you so you can keep me accountable. You hear me? You say, hey, flea boy. <laughs> I am way too critical of other churches. There it is. I see things and I'm like, ooh, they shouldn't do that, they shouldn't do that. You know what? And so are some of you. Some of you came from a church and you're all, oh, they did You know what? That is Jesus' church and he paid for it with his blood and let him deal with it. You just deal with your stuff because you got enough, right? And I got to do it too. He's, he's big enough to, to rule and reign the universe. He can handle that church. When you think that you're better because you do X and they don't do this and they will do this and you have this elitism, you got fleas. You got fleas. If you feel like God owes you something because you did this and I went to seminary and I gave this and, and blah, 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 and I have a right and, I mean, and you think God owes you something, you got fleas. If you look over and you're one of the original, I mean, you've been here from the back and the beginning of CBC all eight years ago or seven, and you look over there and there's a brand newbie and they just went through the start here and they just got baptized and they're a new Christian and you think you have more rights than they do and you're more of a Christian than they do because they're new and you've been here for six years and you, you got fleas. If you look down on the 12-year-old boy because you're the 62-year-old and you go, oh, he's a, you got fleas. You're singing to be seen. You're raising your hand thinking, I hope they see me how spiritual I am. If there's a ministry in the church that you're not willing to do because you feel like, do they know who I am, really? I mean, they're going to ask me to do what? Do they, they don't know who. You got fleas. Right? Because there's nothing that we're not capable or, or we shouldn't be doing. It, it, it's, it can infiltrate with just small little things. You got to identify it. And I would just ask you when we worship and then this week spend some time and ask the Holy Spirit to say, where is it? Where is it in your life that maybe you want to be seen, right? That you're, that you're trying to be seen. So you identify it. And then when you do identify it, you kill it. You know how we got rid of those fleas? We didn't put collars on everybody. I didn't have Samuel in a little collar, and I got a collar on me. And Sarah, here's a collar for you, and here's, we'll put it on our legs. And you know what we had to do? We had to bomb the entire house. We had to leave for several hours, and somebody had to come in and let off a bomb go off to kill it all. And that's a severe way to treat it, and that's how you treat pride. Paul says, put to death what is earthly in you. And you think, oh, he's talking about all these other bad sins, drunkenness. He talks about covetousness and greed and lying to one another, which is what this is. You have to deal harshly with it because you saw how God deals with it. And thank goodness he still doesn't deal with it that way, but that's how he feels about it, about pride. All right, you deal with it harshly, you kill it. And when you identify it, you repent, you own it. There's accountability there. 
and then you, and then you go forward. Right? And then finally, I think the third thing for us, and this is a biggie, and it's, it's clear in this text, is there needs to be some fear and reverence for God brought back into the church. Two times in this text, it says they were great fear. Again, it closes and says there was, they were fearful in the church. And the idea is not scared hiding under your bed, but there is a reverential awe for God. Right? Here's how Peter says it later on. Right? Just listen to his words, because I don't have a slide. He says, if you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, and if you're a believer, you do, conduct yourself in fear during your stay upon earth, knowing that you will redeem, not with, the, with perishable things like silver or gold inherited from your futile way of life from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. What he's saying there is, you live in a way that you remember the value of what purchased you. That, that God sent his son. He killed his son for your pride. He redeemed you and he ransomed you with his son's blood for your pride. That's how serious he takes it. And there needs to be a, then a reverence from the people of God. Yes, he is our brother, and yes, he is our father, but that doesn't mean we just are, he's not Santa Claus in the sky, and we can just presume on the, on the, the faithfulness of God. Just, oh, it doesn't matter. I can just do whatever, because he does limit, and he does bring action to this church, and he is a holy and righteous God, and if we're sitting here singing, praise to the Lord, but we're not really praising to the Lord, it's lying to the Spirit of God, who is in us, the Holy Spirit. He is holy. He is righteous. And so we're, we're, you know, we're praying, oh, we're not listening, we're singing, oh, we're not really singing. It's, it's an act, it's lying to the Spirit of God. And if Jesus, if the throne of heaven was sitting right there, you wouldn't be doing that. Well, it is, because we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, that God is with us. And when we gather as a church, it is a special deal that we, his people, come to proclaim his name together. And so we come and we enjoy it and we laugh and we cry and we have a, we have, this is not supposed to be a miserable time, but there is a, a reverence for who God is. He is our God and we are his people. And we think about that, it really, you're going to cast pride aside because of what he has done. There needs to be that reverence. Let me close with just Jesus' words. This is what he tells the Pharisees. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. What the Pharisees would do is they would paint the tombs white so they'd be beautiful. But what's inside? Stinky, smelly, dead. Here's what I thought. We're about to build this building. I mean, you're going to start seeing foundation this week. And it's going to go up, and it's going to be great, this great white building. It's going to stand out, and people are going to see it. Do you really want that to be a $2 million flea circus? Do you want that to be a, a whitewashed tomb filled with dead man's bones? Because it's on us, individually, to kill the fleas. And this is the time to do it. Praise team, I ask you guys to come up. And they're going to lead.